Um, but today I, I really want to specifically talk about the fear of the Lord in voting. Um, I realize that we are right now <laughs> living in a very divisive time in America. And though it seems the most divisive maybe in modern times, it is surely not the most divisive time in America. I'm saying that to give us a little hope, okay, because we need some, um, you know, because we, we may have forgotten that 157 years ago, our nation went through a civil war, a real war, uh, a real war where, where real people died. In fact, the civil war was actually the most deadly war we've ever been through. Um, it was estimated that somewhere between 620,000 to 850,000 people died. Americans died in that war. And the only second closest was World War II, which was about 405,000 people died. And so it feels really rough right now, but it's been worse. And we have survived worse. God has kept us. He's preserved us. And so whatever we're going through, if we keep our eyes on the Lord and we keep our faith with him, we are going to get through this. Our nation's not going to be lost. And I'm not a very patriotic guy, but man, this is really emotional for me. Um, but we are we have a responsibility, and I say all that not to go, okay, guys, it's okay, let's just have fun, and let's just party, and, you know, we are at a really important crossroads in America. Are we, as a nation, are we going to retain our Christian roots, or, you know, are we going to allow this slow decline and, and the rejection of biblical values continue to erode our nation? You know, citizenship in a free country is a blessing from God. And our great system of self-government, it assures that every one of us, Christians included, have a voice in the affairs of our nation, and, and it gives us the opportunity to bring heavenly perspectives to the earth. That's what we're here for, to bring heaven to earth. And God wants us to do His will in government. Just like we do in our churches, just like I hope we're doing in our homes. But, you know, I think sometimes too often we, we have disobeyed the Lord. We have not taken seriously that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That is a command from Christ. And as a result, I think the moral fiber of America is coming apart. It is rotting. And if we're not careful, our priceless freedom, it will be in jeopardy. You know, atheism is penetrating every area of our national life. 
And America, I believe, is faced with one of its greatest crises. We are in danger of losing by default. Charles Finney, I'm a very powerful evangelist who helped introduce a half a million Americans to Christ. Do you know that? Half a million. In 1835, he wrote, The time has come that Christians must vote for honest men and take consistent ground in politics, or the Lord will curse them. God cannot sustain this free and blessed country, which we love and pray for, unless the church will take right ground. Politics are a part of religion in such a country as this, and Christians must do their duty to the country as a part of their duty to God. God will bless or curse this nation according to the course Christians take in politics. And he's just saying what Psalm 33 verse 12 tells us already. It says that blessed is the nation. And I think blessed is the city, blessed is the state. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Listen, the Bible makes it very clear that nations are called to belong to God. It's God's plan that every nation on this planet be given the opportunity to make the Lord their God. In fact, Jesus told us in Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority, say that, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of what? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, say teaching, Teaching. say to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our mandate is to make disciples of nations, not just individuals. Now, I realize that's, whoa, how do we do that? We are called to make disciples of nations. God has given his church the mandate to teach nations to observe everything God has commanded us. And I think we get real excited about that idea when we think of other nations, India. Yes, God wants India to be a disciple. Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, of course, Syria. God wants them to be disciples. But we sometimes lose our own zeal. And we have to realize that it's also our job to make our nation a disciple of Christ. When it comes to teaching our nation to obey the commands of God, we suddenly get weird. You know, when a nation becomes a disciple of the Lord, just like when a person becomes a disciple, everything changes. Right? How you think, the way we spend money, 
the way we treat our marriage, how we raise our children, how we take care of the poor, all of those things come under. And there's more. But all of those things must come under the obedience of Jesus Christ. If a nation is to become a disciple, then its laws and its rules must reflect the great lawgiver. Now, I realize that some, you know, at this point, some may say, separation of church and state, separation of church and state. And I agree. I agree the state should never, ever be allowed to infringe upon the right of individuals or organizations to practice their religion. In fact, that's what the First Amendment says. I'll read it for you. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And honestly, and I know they're working hard at it, but I can think of no law stating that the church cannot influence culture or government. There's no amendment. Let me share a couple of famous quotes about the significance of the church and politics. Mark Twain, he said, It will be conceded that a Christian's first duty is to God. Then it follows, as a matter of course, that it is his duty to carry his Christian code of morals to the polls and vote them. If Christians would vote their duty to God at the polls, they would carry every election and do it with ease. If the Christians of America could be persuaded to vote God and a clean ticket, it would bring about a moral revolution that would be incalculably beneficent. It would save the country. Let me give you another quote from another famous proponent of religion and politics. Mr. Barack Obama. He said, Secularists are wrong when they ask believers to leave their religion at the door before entering into the public square. Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, William Jennings Bryan, Dorothy Day, Martin Luther King, indeed, the majority of great reformers in American history were not only motivated by faith, but repeatedly used religious language to argue their cause. So to say that men and women should not inject their personal morality into public policy debates is a practical absurdity. Our law is by definition a codification of morality, much of it grounded in judeo Christian tradition. Didn't know that was out there, did you? I'm sure. I know, I know. But listen, even, even the world knows truth. 
to listen. When it comes to our civic duty to vote, we must have the fear of the Lord informing our decisions. And now I will remind us again of the couple of scriptures that are our hang our hat scriptures. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the thing that has to come before you are walking in true knowledge and wisdom. The fear of the Lord, it is also this catalytic moment that opens the gates to true knowledge and true wisdom. Without the fear of the Lord guiding and directing our decisions, we will end up, as the Bible says, stuck on stupid. Let me say that again. If we are not filtering our day-to-day decisions through the fear of the Lord, the Bible calls us a fool. We're stuck on stupid if we don't have the fear of the Lord informing my decisions. And when we have the fear of the Lord in our everyday decisions, that means that we are living with this awe and this respect of this transcendent God who is sovereign over all creation. He's bigger than me. He is not me. In fact, he clearly told me in the Bible, you don't think like I think and you don't do what I do. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. The fear of the Lord in our decisions means that we humbly under the mighty hand of God, that we live in that place. And it is our obligation and passion to live out His commands in every aspect of our lives. See, On this earth, all we are are stewards. We're just managers of his stuff. This big rock he gave us to manage. Here, take care of this. We are ambassadors tasked with the command to accomplish the will of God in every aspect of life. Listen, we're not here to execute my own opinion. That is not what we're here. We are not here to execute our own opinions. See, once we become born again, we are sent out into the world to teach nations to observe, to conform, and to obey the commands of God. We've got to feel the weight of that commission in order to make our decisions with the fear of the Lord. If you don't feel that, then you're, eh, whatever. No big deal. You live your life, I live mine. That's not the command you've been given. If you only see yourself 
as a citizen of heaven, that I just, I'm going to heaven one day. That's all that matters. If you don't see yourself as an ambassador for heaven, you will live on your own terms. You will live in the most selfish and stupid ways possible. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, say, gave me, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, say, entrusting to me, the message of reconciliation. Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through who? Us. Us. You. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of, of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Listen, it is our heavenly duty to be ambassadors for Christ, to establish the atmosphere of heaven and the rule of our Lord in every sphere of, in our nation. And the fear of the Lord, it puts us in the right mindset. It puts us in the right attitude to convey God's heart concerning everything, including who should be leading our cities and our states and our nation. When we have the fear of the Lord, we are no longer seeking our own way and opinion. We are now seeking God's ways. We are seeking the Lord's ways and first, not after I've you know, tried all the options. Well, I guess God, pray for me. I don't know what to do. When the fear of the Lord is on my life, I seek him first and I seek him always. And I go with his plans. Now, when it comes to the fear of the Lord, that we, we, we also need something with the fear of the Lord. When it comes to implementing God's will in the earth. And if you're taking notes, write it down. We need the fear of the Lord, and we need this other thing, a renewed mind. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good pleasing, and perfect will. So what, what is a renewed mind? I believe a renewed mind is a mind that thinks with the mind of Christ. It is a mind that rejects worldly wisdom. And it is a mind that lives out the wisdom that begins with the fear of God. The Lord. 
Our renewed mind, I believe, it searches for and it's earnestly seeking and it's lovingly longing for the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's how you know you have a renewed mind. You're craving it. You crave the will of God. And I know what Bill Johnson says, and I love it. A renewed mind says, you know you have one when the impossible seems possible. That's amazing. But how do you know what's possible if you don't know what God thinks? If we do not have a renewed mind, we cannot make fear of the Lord decisions. So when fear of the Lord settles into our heart, we become aware again that God is very big and I'm not him. And this beautiful thing happens. We fall in love with this God. We fall in love and, 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 and when we fall in love with God, our desire starts to shift and I, I start to want to live his will. I want to do Things that make him happy, not to earn his love, but because I got it for free. The problem we run into is is to, to whatever degree that our mind is renewed, that is the degree that his will will be known in our lives. It's going to inform us what God's will is for our lives, and for the life of our nation. There are some Christians who are deeply in love with God. Man, thank God. I'm one of them. I know a whole bunch of you are. We love the presence of God. We love the nearness and the eminence of God. We love the emotion. We feel connecting with Him. That's powerful. That's amazing. They are absolutely essential components for the fear of the Lord to be working in your life. But here's the caveat. A lot of times those Christians don't read their Bibles. In Romans 12, 2, it tells us that mind renewal comes from God. It comes from the Word of God. So what happens when we're passionate and we're emotionally and experientially loving God and connecting and we're driven by those things we're driven by the connection and the experience but we don't have truth changing our thinking we end up making emotional decisions about life and about the affairs of our nation that's what face puke's all about right now it is pure emotion. See, when we spend little or no time reading the Bible, we end up filling our minds with other things. And just as I said, most of the time that we could or maybe should be reading our Bible, 
we're filling it with face puke, insta-sham. <laughs> Keep up. Snap crap. <laughs> and twister, I mean Twitter. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't have time to read my Bible. I know you don't. Because you are consumed with those platforms. And so we fill our minds not with the word of God, but we fill it with what culture and social media preach as the gospel. And it transforms our minds. It's washing. I mean, it's dirty bath water. But we're taking a bath in it every single day. And what's weird, but not really, is as that thing washes our brains and washes our minds, we suddenly don't know what God's will is for our lives. We, we, we haven't bothered to learn well, who God is, how does he think, what does he think about all of the affairs of life. We don't have a clue because we don't read his Bible. We don't read his love letter to us. We don't know him. We don't know his ways. We don't know why he thinks the way he thinks. We're just emotional. A renewed mind comes from God's word. See, the passion part of the fear of the Lord, it has to be married to the truth part. They have to come together. We cannot make better decisions in life without the fear of the Lord and a renewed mind. our mind is not renewed and it's not transformed by the word of God, then we will make bad decisions. Bad decisions for our lives and really bad decisions when it comes to our nation. And I want to make a promise today. I promise, promise, promise. I guarantee 100% guarantee that if you will have the fear of the Lord in your life, as the thing that comes before all your decisions? If you will have the fear of the Lord that brings true wisdom, true knowledge, true understanding, and if you will live in the fear of the Lord and renew your mind. If you will do that, renew your mind with the word of God, you will make better and better decisions every single day. I 100% guarantee it. And those better decisions become great decisions. And great decisions become awesome decisions. And then guess what? You're living the life you thought you were supposed to have. Does anyone want to make better decisions? I mean, like, I don't know. I, I don't like beating my head in a brick wall. It's, it gets bloody and I lose consciousness. It's painful. You know, every person that I encounter, practically, who makes bad decision after bad decision, they have one of two things in common. And you might want to write this down so you can help identify your own bad decisions. <laughs> People just keep making them over and over and over. And even those of us who try not to. One of two things, I believe, that happens. Number one. They don't know what their Bible says about life. 
It's called ignorance. Not trying to insult. Ignorance is just the state of not knowing something. That's all it is. Why'd you do that? Didn't you know the Bible? Oh, no, I didn't know the Bible said that. Okay, I'll quit doing that. So, they either don't know what the Bible says, they have ignorance, or number two, they do know what the Bible says, but they don't have the fear of the Lord, and they disobey the will of God. It's pretty simple. I either don't know what to do because I haven't read my Bible, or I did read my Bible and I don't like what it says. Bad decision. Every bad decision, I think, is tied to one of those. In fact, go and read your Bible. Read your Bible and study the lives of all the people, good and bad, and you'll be able to say, oh, well, that guy just disobeyed God. Oh, that girl just disobeyed the Lord. (laughs) Or that person didn't do what God said. All throughout history, it has been proven over and over. Practically every terrible event that happened was because the person was either ignorant of God's thoughts concerning the matter, or they knew and they didn't want to do it. They disobeyed. They didn't have the fear of the Lord. So, fear the Lord, renewed mind. They have to be together. You've got to have both to make your decision-making skills increase. Good? That's good. Because listen, in a couple of weeks, we as a nation have some major decisions to make. Exodus 18, 21. God commands Moses. He tells him, find some capable Godly, honest men who hate bribes and appoint them as judges. Let these men be responsible to serve the people with justice at all times. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. Proverbs 29.2, it says, With good men in authority, the people rejoice, but with the wicked in power, they groan. Second yeah. Samuel 23 and verse 3, He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. We have a biblical mandate from God to choose leaders who love and fear the Lord. God tells us to choose our leaders. You choose. You decide. I want you to do the work. You go out. You decide who's going to run. You decide who's going to lead you. You decide who will uh, enforce my will or not. Your choice. We live in the most blessed and free nation in the world. And it is an incredible blessing to be able to pick our leaders. And so we have a responsibility to God to vote. It is only when we cast our vote that we are actually fulfilling our Christian responsibility in government. We have to exercise the influence that God has given us through our unique system of self-government. 
And if we fail to vote biblically for godly rule, then evil will increase in our nation. Proverbs 29 and 16. When rulers are wicked, people are too. Listen, our, our nation is and will continue to bear the consequences of our choices, yes. good or bad. 1 Samuel 18 tells us, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. And there's a weightiness to what we are entering into. You know, and if I haven't said it enough, I'm going to say it again. When we make our decisions, let the word of God be our guide. Proverbs 14 and 34 says, Godliness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That means it is important to prayerfully seek God's will in every political decision. So we go to him first and we go, what are your values? What's your, uh, what's your will? What's important to you, God? And then we go and we find out about our candidate. We get informed. We learn about, well, who's going to be closest to the will of God? Mike encouraged me this morning when we were praying. He said, I hope you're going to tell people not to just go, God, tell me which button to push. Uh. No, we have to be informed. And we're doing it for you. Paul has put some beautiful materials together, man. Ignorance is on you. It is on you. We've got to execute God's will in all political arenas. In fact, in the book of Hosea, Israel invited God's anger by selecting leaders without consulting him. Hosea 8.4, it says, They set up kings without my consent, and they chose princes without my approval. Now listen, I realize it seems very difficult to find a righteous candidate. I'm not stupid, neither are you, unless you don't have the fear of the Lord, and the Bible says you are, but whatever. <laughs> listen, if there's no qualified candidate who is spiritually mature, then we still have to vote for the one whose principles and their platform most nearly <laughs> agree with the Bible. In other words, when we are stuck with two or more less than desirable candidates, we have to pick the one who violates the word of God the least. I'm just being true. You know it. Their platform and their principles, we have to look at that and go, who's, who's breaking God's laws the least? Okay. It is sad, but this is where we're at. And if you think there's an option, well, I'm just not voting because they're all stupid. I don't like any of them. They're all bad candidates, so I'm not voting. Well, you know, Dr. David Jeremiah 
I'll quote him. He said, there may never be a candidate who perfectly represents you or me. But we cannot choose to sit out an election because there's no clear Christian option in a given election. That would ensure we have no seat at the governing table and that our policy priorities go unheard. Instead, politics, by its very nature, is an exercise in compromise, and we must not allow the current uncompromising political climate in Washington to cause us to become myopic and narrow-minded in our own right. It is far better to have elected leaders who aren't outright hostile to our faith and our values than it is to have leaders who might seek to diminish Christianity's influence in America. That is why I must vote, and that is why you must vote. And I will add to that, that principles are more important than party. Listen, a candidate's principles are far more important than their party affiliation. In case you didn't know, God's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not a Libertarian. He's not a Tea Party guy. He's not that. He is the supreme ruler of our universe. So for us to try and make God into the image of a Democrat or a Republican is a blunder of our Christian responsibility. We must vote our Christian convictions over our party loyalties. When we are more loyal to our party affiliation than God's commands, I'm going to say it again, you're stuck on stupid. We are first citizens of heaven. We are first citizens of heaven before we are citizens of America. Our allegiance is first to the Almighty God. It's to His Word first, and then it is secondly to our nation. So I'm going to share with you the process that I go through when it comes to picking a candidate to vote for. Now listen, this isn't the only way, but I believe it is, a, it is a way that is faithful to the Word of God when it comes to choosing a candidate who represents the will of God the most. I use the fear of the Lord and the Word of God to make my decisions. And here's how I do it. In our current situation as a nation, I feel that there are four major issues. And I'm not saying there's only four. I'm saying there are four major issues that we are facing. I know there's more than four, but for me, I look to these four first. And I also believe that some issues are more important than other issues. And I believe the Bible makes some issues more important than other issues. So here is my list in order of what I believe the fear of the Lord and the Bible say are most important. Number one, 
our religious freedoms. When I look to a candidate, I want to know if they are for religious freedom or do they want to limit or eliminate religious freedom. God established our nation to be a nation that can freely worship God. That's how we began. God established our nation so that we could practice our faith, not just hidden behind closed doors, but that we could practice our faith in every aspect of society. It has only been, I believe, the most sinister and ruthless tyrant leaders in history that have suppressed and oppressed Christians' rights to worship God openly and freely. Our nation was built upon the fact that it must remain a religiously free nation. Because if they can shut us down, then everything else after this, we have no voice. Our nation is built upon that, and it has to remain the foundation of our republic. So that's my first, where are they at? After that, I go to number two. If the candidate passes the first test, then I want to know their stance on the right to life. I want to know, do they support what the Bible says about the value of all life? I want to know, are they pro-life or are they pro-choice? Now, I am not taking time today to preach why. I'm not going to talk about these issues and what the Bible says. I'm just telling you, when I read the Bible, simply, easily, these are the issues that come out. And so the fear of the Lord and the Bible tell me I must go with pro-life. I have to. I have to side with that. So if they pass that test, if they pass the life test, the next issue that I believe the Bible has a lot to say about is the definition of marriage. And so the question I ask myself, Does this person support pro-natural, biblical marriage? Or do they support gay marriage? Now again, I'm not teaching about this today. I'm not going to tell you why. But the Bible, I believe, is absolutely clear about this. And so the fear of the Lord and the Word of God inform me that I have to vote for God's plan for marriage. If they get past that, and this next issue is not as weighty as the first three, but I still believe the Bible has a lot to say about this. If the person passes the first three tests, then I ask, how does this person want to deal with the national debt? Why? Because the Bible talks about money a lot. 
Does this person want to balance our budget and be fiscally responsible and have a real plan for solving this impending crisis that is coming? Or does this person believe debt is okay or worse yet? Do they think socialism is going to work? When we study the Bible about money and debt, we learn that debt and poor money management affect every part of our life in the worst way. Our nation is no different. Now, once I get through all of those very important issues, I then look to other issues that I don't feel are as important as those first four. But they are important issues. Things like government um, versus private health care. Immigration. Education. I mean, there's just a long list of stuff that our government's thinking about and making decisions about. And they're all important issues that need true wisdom and knowledge that come from the fear of the Lord. Not your opinion. Not what your party says. Not what you get emotional about when you watch it on face puke. What does the fear of the Lord inform me to do? What does His Word command me to do? So, I'm going to end with this. I'm going to share how it literally worked out for me in our past presidential election. So, in our past presidential election, there were two voting opportunities. There was one for the primary election, and then there was one for the national. In the primary election, I felt like there were several candidates that I believe had strong Christian biblical character and value system. Which, again, the Bible says are the kind of people we are supposed to elect. So in the primary, I felt like I had some good choices. Which made choosing actually more difficult. Because now I had to go deeper into my list. Religious freedom, yep, pro-life, pro, you know, pro-family, pro, I mean, tick, tick, tick. What are they going to do about this issue? What are they going to do about that issue? The nuances. I had to dig deeper into my list of biblical values to decide who to vote for. Got to look into their national debt policy, their health care, all of that. So once I decided who to vote for, I then had to face the possibility that my candidate that I had chosen was not likely to win the primary. You know, all of the numbers and the polls were saying he's probably not going to make it. I had to deal with that. Other candidates had a better chance of winning. I had to deal with the thoughts that maybe I was throwing my vote away. But here is where the rubber meets the road. The fear of the Lord informed my decision. Not the fear of missing out that my vote's not going to count. 
Because my vote's not just recorded in Washington, D.C., it's recorded in heaven. How did you handle America, Tom? Uh, well, I was afraid, uh, for fear? What did you say? I don't, I don't understand fear. The fear of the Lord informed my decision, not the fear of missing out, that my vote might not count. And so, if I believe, if I believe that God wants my nation to be his disciple, then the fear of the Lord informs me that I vote for the candidate that most closely reflects biblical values and beliefs. Who, one who walks with godly character. Even though the candidate that I voted for had a less likely chance of winning. The fear of the Lord required me to cast a vote for that which most embodies righteousness. And guess what? My candidate didn't win. He did not win the primary. So now I am stuck with two candidates that I don't believe possess very much moral fiber at all. What do I do about that? Uh-oh. Guess what? The fear of the Lord compels me to vote for the person who least violates the Bible, its values, and its laws. Because both candidates, neither of them were outstanding Christians. Not outstanding Christians. It's now time for me to go through my list of biblical values to find who I will vote for. And as you know, at the top of my list, religious freedom. Which candidate supports religious freedom the most? After that, I asked about the right to life. Which candidate supports the unborn and which candidate supports killing the unborn? that point my decision was made I don't need to I mean I want to know what their policies are but it doesn't inform my vote why I have to choose God I have to vote the word of God my decision was made I didn't have to go through the rest of my list I knew that Trump was running pro-life and Hillary was running pro-death. Now, let's just throw a monkey wrench in there. Let's say, what would I have done if Trump was pro-life, but pro-gay marriage? And Hillary was pro-choice, but she was pro-natural marriage. Oh, yeah, that's a hard, hard decision, isn't it? Listen, because I believe the Bible places a significantly higher premium on life than it does marriage, I can prove that. Paul tells us, if you're single, don't bother. Don't get married. It's trouble. Your life's divided. Your attention's divided. Just don't go there. So there's nowhere in the Bible that says, well, if you're alive, go ahead and kill yourself. Anything that's inconvenient, kill it. So guess what gets the higher? Life. So guess who I would have voted for? Trump. 
even though he had the possibility of destroying the definition of marriage. I got to go with what's least violating the word of God. And is he violating if he was pro-gay marriage? Yes, he's destroying it. And I would be praying and begging heaven to change him, as we all should be. There is a higher premium on life than marriage, and the fear of the Lord requires me to vote for whoever is for life. Even if it means that candidate was trying to destroy biblical marriage. It, it gets, it, listen, it would have not been an easy decision, but I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to make that choice. I knew Trump was running on the biblical values of religious freedom. I knew he was running on pro-life pro-marriage, had an actual plan for helping our, helping our economy get fixed, and so he got my vote. I didn't vote for Trump because he's a model Christian. Please. Please. I'm not dumb. Neither are you. It's not because of his impeccable character. Get a break. I voted because he stood for biblical principles more than Hillary did. Trump has a lot, many, many character flaws, and so does Hillary. But the fear of the Lord tells me to vote for the candidate who most reflects biblical standards. And just like Dr. David Jeremiah said, I could not excuse myself. I don't like either of them. They're both terrible. I could not excuse myself from voting just because neither candidate perfectly represented me. I can't do it. And you can't either. We have got to, in two weeks, go informed, prayed up, the fear of the Lord weighing on you in a heavy way with a renewed mind that knows what God's will is. And it is your duty to vote according to heaven. We have got a mandate to do that. The fear of the Lord and renewed mind, transformed by the word of God, must be our guide. So please, please, I am begging you, Vote. Do your part in making our nation a disciple of God. Through the fear of the Lord and a renewed mind. Let's pray. Oh God, we just ask you for a spirit of wisdom and understanding. We ask you, God, that the fear of the Lord would weigh heavy upon us, God. I pray, God, that our minds would be renewed by what your word says about policies that our nation is facing. I ask you, Father, for light to shine through the church. 
I ask you, God, that you would help us, Lord, to take seriously the mandate to make our nation a disciple of everything you have commanded us. I pray, Lord, that we would break unholy allegiance to party lines. God, if we're more in love with Republican or Democrat more than heaven, forgive us, God. We break that soul tie in the name of Jesus. And I pray, God, that through your conviction of your Holy Spirit in our heart, that, God, we would obey your command to choose your leaders. So we humble ourselves and we submit our will to you, God. Have your way in us, God. Let us be the channel for the kingdom of heaven to come to the earth. Let us, God, be the channel that the heavenly citizenship that we are a part of, God, would be brought into the political arena of our nation. I ask you today, God, to forgive us for not taking this seriously, God. I ask you to forgive us, God, for voting based on popular or cultural norms, God. Forgive us. And I ask you, God, that you would shine your light into our hearts. That we would take the time to learn about the candidates and that we would vote for those who least violate the word of God. So I pray, God, that you would go with us today over these next couple of weeks, that we would think seriously about this and take it with the weightiness that it is, God. Help us, Lord, to vote for heaven. Help us to vote for your kingdom, God. What's important to you, God, is what's important to us. So we thank you, God, for doing that on our behalf today and in the weeks to come. And God, put it in our heart to encourage our other Christian brothers and sisters and and everyone, God, to get out and vote. They aren't here. Help us, God, to be light and salt in the earth once again. And we give you praise, God. We thank you for all these things. And we love you. And we give you praise, God. It's in Jesus' name we are praying. And we believe we have it. And everybody says, Amen. Amen.